Welcome to the holiday edition of Sustainability in the Air, the world's number one podcast on sustainable aviation. Over the next couple of weeks, we will bring you some of the finest conversations from our archives and add context based on the latest updates from the companies featured. Following from our first holiday special with United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby, today we highlight my conversation with Emilia Di Luca, Delta Airlines Chief Sustainability Officer. Delta has made significant strides in sustainability since we spoke to Emilia. The airline recently became a founding member of the Americans for Clean Aviation Fuels, a transformative coalition aimed at promoting sustainable aviation fuels. This diverse group, including sectors from aviation to agribusiness, is focused on the economic benefits of a robust SAF market. Founding members alongside Delta include Airbus and ExxonMobil. In its sustainability efforts, Delta has developed and tested paper cups capable of handling a variety of beverages while adhering to strict environmental regulations. These cups, undergoing final tests on flights, are part of Delta's initiative to eliminate nearly 7 million pounds of plastics annually. Additionally, Delta participated in the establishment of the Minnesota SAF Hub, a pioneering coalition in the US dedicated to scaling sustainable aviation fuel. This was done in collaboration with Bank of America and Ecolab. Last but not the least, Delta is collaborating with Boeing and NASA on the Sustainable Flight Demonstrator project and the creation of the X-66A research aircraft. This features a transonic truss-brazed wing design intended to reduce fuel consumption and emissions by up to 30%. Emilia, of course, is just getting started in her new role at Delta. And our episode with her wonderfully encapsulates her thinking on the various aspects of sustainable aviation and Delta's net zero plans. So let's hear it directly from Emilia. Amelia, it's such a pleasure to be speaking with you. I've followed your work over the last two, almost just over two years, I think, uh, in Delta and sustainability, starting from the 100% offsetting of all flights that Delta was leading on to the Joby announcement to now the entire sustainability strategy. And I'm very excited to be speaking, finally. Great to have you here. Oh, it goes both ways. I similarly have followed your work since you came onto the scene, uh, you know, quite fast and picked up on a lot of interesting trends. I like how you're one of the first ones to uh, comment on the industry's announcements or trends and put two and two together. And so we we appreciate people that uh, are supporting us in our efforts here as the industry. Absolutely. I think the industry needs uh, someone to separate the signal from the noise because there's so much happening. And it's important to make sense of that. Uh, now, you, uh, th- this is interesting. I think of late, you are overseeing both customer experience and sustainability at Delta. Where do the two meet? Tell us about your new, latest role here. Yeah, certainly happy to. As you mentioned, about um, two years ago, I had the opportunity to really dive deep into the sustainability work that Delta was doing. And that was an incredible journey. It's brought me to so many new places and new points of collaboration. I'm an industry lifer within the airline industry. And so sustainability opens 
you know, new doors from the Trees Atlanta board that I sit on now to the counterparts of the other airlines and sustainability I've gotten to know to, you know, great research universities. I mean, you name it, right? Sustainability opened a lot of doors, but, you know, at my core, I am an airline person. And so as I started to contemplate how to, you know, move back a little bit closer to, you know, my passion, which is the airline customer, it was at the same time we were starting to realize that the next frontier of sustainability is collaboration. And that comes not only from collaboration with our airline partners, but also how it shows up um, when we're flying and not just flying in general, but flying overseas where the consumer is a little bit different. Regulations are a little bit different. And so um, I oversee today both international customer experience at Delta. So what is the satisfaction when a customer flies on Delta or any of our incredible SkyTeam partners? So it's not just the Delta medal that we care about, we just care about that if you are associated with Delta in one way, shape or another, whether or not you fly on us, we want to make sure that, you know, we meet your expectations and you come back to us and our airline partners. And then simultaneously, I'm working on expanding the sustainability efforts to not only meet our international customer uh, expectations and regulations, but really doing that hand in hand with our incredible airline partners, such as Virgin Atlantic, Air France, Kalem, Aeromexico, Latam, Korean, you name it. But each one brings a really special uh, lens to our strategy. And we found so many incredible points of collaboration already. This is very interesting. You, you The overlap between customer experience and uh, sustainability. Now, I would have traditionally thought that you would get higher NPS scores if there's free Wi-Fi, which Delta now has on on, on flights, uh, or you have a more comfortable seat or a nice duvet. Tell me, have you seen any correlation between sustainability and customer experience and satisfaction? For example, will a passenger give you a better NPS score or better feedback if they know that you're using SAF on that flight or if the flight is offset, for example? Absolutely. We've known that for a number of years and not just us, other airlines have talked about for years that if a customer connects with the sustainability activity, and that's different for every customer, that's the complex part. But if they connect to it, they're more likely to come back as a repeat customer. They're more likely to have trust in that brand. We just recently um, did an updated brand tracking report. So this is continuous. We're constantly doing brand tracking. Um, and, you know, in that brand tracking, we see that the efforts that we're making to support sustainability are helping us differentiate ourselves versus our competitors. And we don't talk about sustainability right as it's not a competition amongst airlines, but obviously NPS and, and brand health is a competition between airlines, right? We're all we're all vying to keep the loyalists, you know, with Delta and that we get new loyalists all the time. And so one of the things we saw in 2022 that as we leaned into our one of our new pillars, which is, you know, embedding sustainability in everything that we do, including, you know, almost a year over a year ago, we, for example, launched our new amenity kits. We overhauled and removed a bunch of single use plastic that in the last year, we've really watched our um, brand health tick up and amongst especially one of the key demographics of age 35 and under flyers is where we're seeing that we've now amongst at least the U.S. legacy carriers become the most environmentally responsible with that group. And so, again, you know, the thing about sustainability, just like anything else in customer satisfaction, is that it's unique to me as a traveler. That being said, we have incredibly rich data through our NPS data. We're, we're constantly mining our NPS data to say, again, why, why do you like Delta or not? But now we're starting to look and say, okay, so if you mention sustainability, what are you mentioning? What are your observations, both good and bad? And that's helping to inform our decisions. And so, you know, again, to date, that that pillar of embedding sustainability in everything we do has been really focused on Removing single-use plastics, over 4.9 million pounds have been removed to date, and diverting waste from landfills. But 
as the consumer becomes more sophisticated in their expectations, so will we by listening to customer data, which is the same data we use for everything else. This is so fascinating, by the way, and I just want to keep digging deeper into this. You mentioned the under 35 under flyer. I'm no longer under 35 and I'm a frequent flyer. Who Who is this under 35 under flyer and why is this segment important? Well, you know, I think it's it's a twofold, right? We know that that's the group that is probably most environmentally aware, right? And so that is a group that is um, going to have heightened expectations. So it's important, I think, to listen to them almost more than any other group right now, right? Not only because they will be our future frequent flyers if they're not already. Many times they're new, they're early on in their corporate careers or they're, you know, they're just getting to a point where, you know, traveling is becoming part of their lifestyle. We also know that's that, you know, kind of millennial Gen Z group, right? That really values experiences over goods and services. So you've got one, the most environmentally conscious group that there is. They want to travel. That is kind of their key thing that really drives them in their lives and to spend their money. But we as an industry have to keep their trust right? Or else they're going to change their behaviors. They're going to spend their money differently. They're going to have a different relationship with the airline industry. And so to me, all groups are really important. Again, I I oversee all of customer experience, but from a sustainability lens, this is the group that's really critical, which is why, again, I'm so proud for Delta that the work we've done this last year has really resonated with them. That's that's fantastic. And you also mentioned these amenity kits. I, I have one of those someone somewhere amenity kits with me and they come, I think, with a QR code and you can scan it. And you can see who made it. You can see videos of the people talking about, uh, I think, in Mexico, where they are making this using local materials. And I was so fascinated. I was astounded by the radical transparency that you posted in the launch of something so simple as the amenity kits. Was this by design? And what's the feedback been? Yeah, I think at this point, if you look across the board at our products that we're really highlighting, so not only the product itself, but the brand you're going to see we've got both an environmental and a social story, right? We've always known that sustainability goes beyond just environmental. We've known that, you know, that environmental and social is really kind of the intersection of what we're all striving for. I think simultaneously, again, coming back to that consumer, right? The last couple of years, the consumers, while they've also become really advanced in environmental sustainability, most consumers have become very advanced in social issues, And so I think they're wanting to know a little bit, where did my good come from and what kind of labor was used? And not just from the make sure there's nothing bad happening in my supply chain, but really, how are you lifting up brands and communities that otherwise have not been given a chance? And so that's why we're really focused on supplier diversity, really focused on, you know, local product sourcing where, you know, where it makes sense and where it's obviously going to have an impact. And I'll just say personally, Someone Somewhere was a project that was near and dear to my heart. Um, You know, when I moved back from Mexico City, in 2019, I had lived in Mexico City for three years, really saw the, you know, this incredible country that is very complex, though, in terms of the working conditions and kind of the, the class systems. And so for me, it was just a really wonderful way to kind of see my passion personally coincide with my work passion as our supply chain found this vendor and brought them on board. And we're actually expanding the use of our product into other uh, cabins right now because we've seen that consumers really connect to it. What about what goes inside the product? Because it's one thing to have nice, sustainable packaging and socially sourced, responsibly sourced packaging, but do you still have the single-used plastic toothpaste in there or the single-use comb that at least I don't tend to use very often? How, how, how do you balance that bit? 
Yeah, you know, I think again when we were, when we changed the amenity kits, it was not just to your point the packaging on the outside. It's the same thing if you think about our blanket. Um, if you sat in our Delta One cabin recently, the blanket could be made and ours is made from recycled plastic water bottles. But if you wrap it in plastic on the outside, even if you could say to you know you and I as kind of sophisticated sustainability people could be like, hey, don't worry about that. This is minor in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't matter. Consistency on board is the most important thing that we can do right now as an airline industry. And as Delta, we take that really seriously. So we removed as much single-use plastic as was possible from those amenity kits. And now we're starting to move to the next generation of sustainability on board, which is waste, right? So not only is it making sure that the products that come into the plane, right, are made and sourced as sustainably as possible, it's what does that afterlife look like? And Delta's had a great track record with how we've recycled our uniforms in the past, and we're really trying to just look across the board at all the products that leave our plane, whether it's through our galley kitchens, through the you know garbage facilities or recycling facilities at the airport, as well as what consumers take with them. And really talk about how do we create closed loop possibilities whenever possible. And that's where, um, just a quick plug, the sustainable flight challenge is super cool because that allows us to take this really complex problem where you're like, I have no idea how I'm going to scale that today, but I know I need to. And it allows you for one day and one flight out of the year to just test the art of the possible when it comes to onboard. You brought in the plug in the perfect time. So I was going to go from underflyers to frequent flyers. And Delta, of course, is a leading partner in Sky Team Alliance. And you have participated in the Sky Team Sustainable Flight Challenge last year and this year. What were some of the initiatives you piloted there and how did that impact the rest of Delta's operation and your approach towards sustainability? Um, a couple highlights for you. So in addition to table stakes operating on the most efficient uh, narrow body aircraft that we had at the time, we also used 100% electric ground support equipment on both sides. Uh, we uplifted 10% staff out of Atlanta. That was actually, that broke the record for the most sustainable aviation fuel flown out of Atlanta. I know we get used to hearing about SAF, but we have to remember it's still only concentrated in a couple uh, airports. And so to fly it out of Atlanta was quite a feat. We featured a locally sourced organic menu from a regenerative farm. Um, and I think the, one of the things I'm most proud about when it comes to this testing concept is the entire onboard experience looked different as we really strove to have a zero waste flight. And as a result of that, last year, we only had 1.4 pounds of single-use plastic on this two-hour, two-service flight. And so with that, some things that we tested were a reusable rotable cup, which actually helped us win the Best In-Flight Innovation Award. Um, and that helped reduce our total single-use plastics on board by 81% compared to the average amount. And we can come back to this. Um, and we also had incredible employee engagement. So again, between the um, you know, the most fuel-efficient 737-900 that we had at the time, now we have a more efficient narrow-body aircraft, to on-the-ground, to in-the-air, everything was the most uh, sustainable that we've ever done. And it's really helped us learn you know, what, what it would take. Things like Ground support equipment, obviously, has just taken off since then. You know, that that's a pretty easy one to scale. Some of the other ones have been a little bit harder to scale, but it certainly shows that it's possible. Simple things like 10% staff. I know it's commendable. It sounds little, but I know it's commendable because Atlanta doesn't is, is not Los Angeles, where there's a lot of staff available. How did you get this staff to Atlanta? I'm very curious here. I believe we trucked it in from Minnesota last year because we're not on a, you know, the problem with Atlanta versus California is California is set up for the SAF to come in and then to basically be piped into the fuel farm. That's not how Atlanta works in terms of how our pipelines are set up. And so 
it was actually brought in for use in our test cell and our tech ops facility. And so it was kept separate. And so that was the challenge, right? Is one, we as our tech ops organization had never seen SAF as a product before, let alone have we ever put it onto an air, aircraft in um, Atlanta. We actually had the FAA present when we did it. It took, our flight was on Monday and I think we worked all weekend actually on SAF. Just because it wasn't that it was anything scary. It was just that we as a, as a group, as a region, as a set of kind of um, you know, people that would kind of certify planes to fly or not had just never experienced the product. And so we take for granted that SAF is becoming and feeling more common. But you have to remember that at specific airports and for specific work groups, it's completely new for the first time. And since it wasn't just being piped into a system, it was actually going on the plane at 10% quantities. That's a really different experience than, you know, just drips in California. Right. So it seems that there were some very successful initiatives last year in the Sustainable Flight Challenge, which engaged the employees, which, you know, really optimized operations. Were there some customer facing initiatives that received good feedback as well? Yes. You know, I think the thing that the customers liked the most, and if you've been to a concert recently, you've probably seen the, uh, actually got one here, uh, the Turn Cup product. Um, actually went to a concert this weekend that used these. And consumers really resonate with them because kind of back to that brand health. Consumers, when it comes to sustainability, one, they want to be communicated to. They want to know what you're doing. And two, they want to make, make it easy on me as a consumer, right? Don't make me pay for something. Don't make me take an action that feels outside of my ordinary routine or something that I don't quite connect with. And so a, a turn cup, a rotable cup is actually a really easy solution. I'm not really asking you to do anything, but I see here. I see what you're doing and I see that this is a different experience. So for us, I highlight this one just because, again, we won the award because of this one. But also this is the one that we've really taken and we've scaled because we know that it resonates with customers and we know that it has a significant impact on single use plastic. So this was the first time we tested a rotable cup, this turn cup. And we've actually spent the last year continuing to test and run pilots on it. It may seem like a straightforward thing to just replace a single-use plastic cup with a rotable cup, but it's actually, there's a lot behind the scenes. So we're doing onboard testing in terms of how does our galley planning work when we load these cups on and when we take them off. We're trying to understand constraints that would come up as we start to scale globally. So for example, with like dishwasher cap capacity, right? This is all a little bit different. We're trying to figure out, again, employee or um, customer engagement opportunities and employee as well, right? We know that employees really like this product a lot because they feel like it's less wasteful. And we want customers to similarly feel like, how are they either contributing to it or be a part of the system by using this cup? And then finally, we're also trying to just think about closed loop again. Where does the product come from that makes the cup and where does the cup go at the end of its life? And so we're working with the creators of this cup on that right now. So more to come, but it's just an example of how in one year you can take something that was really only possible on one flight and start to scale it to something much bigger. Yeah, I mean, scalability is key. For those who are unfamiliar, this is still a plastic cup, but it's reusable, correct? Correct. Yes, exactly. And so it's, um, and in particular, the product that we use you know, the hardest thing about plastic, think about washing Tupperware in your house, is that when it comes out, it's often coming out wet. And so the dishwashing capabilities is actually part of what makes it really appealing, um, is that it can be dried in a way where it actually comes out dry. And then, of course, the whole thing is how do you stack it into a galley as compactly as possible, but still get the cups to come out quickly when you're going through, you know, and serving customers, right? There can be nothing that makes a flight attendant's life more difficult because they're already obviously dealing with so much on board right now. Very interesting. What is something that you're doing differently this year in the Sustainable Flight Challenge? 
Well, so I think the first thing is we're not starting from scratch and no airline is. We've really spent the last year and SkyTeam has been a big supporter of this, building out a ways of working that allows airlines to collaborate. And so from the um, showcase that happened last fall in which every airline showed up and actually showed, here's the products, here's how I did it. There was lots of presentations to try to explain how things were accomplished. You know, every every couple of weeks to a month for the last year, the airlines have gotten together to deep dive on a specific solution. And so with that, there's been a, quite a bit of learning across all airlines that you're going to start to see on board. You're going to see things um, that are a little bit more innovative, things that are being tested and being scaled so that, you know, we're not just going to have flights with one-offs that we're really going to walk away from this year with a lot of different things that we really do think are scalable. That was a big thing for SkyTeam for this year is to try to make things as scalable as possible. And then I think the other one is collaboration. Obviously, that's kind of the foundation of this, but SkyTeam has really facilitated new ways of collaborating, which, you know, this year you're going to see us fly joint routes. So um, ourselves, for example, will operate on Atlanta, Charles de Gaulle. Air France will fly Charles de Gaulle, Atlanta. And it just shows that collaboration. We're supporting each other on either sides of the ocean. We're going to have new collaborations in terms of partners that you're going to see that we invite into the challenge. And I think that's also where we're going to take it forward is that, what I love about sustainability as an airline person is that it's the most collaborative thing that I've ever seen this industry come together really outside of the pandemic. I saw the industry come together during the pandemic to protect the industry and protect jobs and protect its customers. And now the same thing's happening in sustainability. And I think SkyTeam is really facilitating that through this challenge. This is really exciting uh, to know. I mean, I'm, I'm so impressed by the collaboration because airlines are not competing. They're working together. Uh, and that's in general, rare in the industry, other than for the closest of partners. So it's, it's very exciting to see, uh, you know, the, the teams coming together. Now, one of your goals, stated goals, is to use 10% sustainable aviation fuel on all flights by 2030. We just spoke about 10% fuel on the Atlanta flight for the first time, which we did last year. How do you intend to get there? Because one, there isn't enough staff available. And second, it's so expensive. Well, this is certainly one that we're not um, we're not going at it alone. I will say again, coming back to the point that we just had on collaboration, I think SAF is one that I really enjoyed getting to know my other airline counterparts, getting to know um, all the groups in the industry that are all you know we're all trying to do the same thing, right? Everyone knows that SAF has to scale, or else you know the solutions become much harder when it comes to you know just overhauling our you know our aircraft, our airframes, et cetera, our engine systems, and so. So SAF, I mean, what's cool about it is it's safe and tested. So that's not a hurdle, which is nice. Um, it's just that there isn't enough of it being produced. And so, you know, I love the fact that, you know, when you when you look at it, you know, that there isn't enough SAF currently to fuel the world's commercial airlines for even a single day. I don't love that because it's the reality. I love it, though, because it really grounds you in kind of the, the situation, right? People, um, I think, think that it's more readily available than it is right now. And so, you know, key things. One, I think it's been great to see a lot of new players come into this space, but at the same time, we need to encourage the large-scale legacy energy companies to ramp up their production of SAF, while similarly supporting our small innovators who are new to the market. And we've seen a lot of them, like our partner Jivo, you know, really start to come in and, you know, produce, um, you know, get lots of offtakes, and then we think have a really great path forward to producing it at scale. For us, you know, and, and for the rest of the industry, I will just say, but, you know, we, we've all been focused on offtake agreements as a great first step. So as of last year, Delta committed um, 200 million gallons of SAF offtakes with a diverse portfolio of partners, which was half of our needs for that 2030 goal that you mentioned. But now we're really at the point where we need 
governments. And we all, all eyes were on the federal government last year, which was great to see. But now we're really looking towards our local and our state governments as well to start to step in and help us to scale SAF. Um, you know, example of recent tax incentives passed in California and Minnesota are really going to start to spur more investment and help us to reach those levels. We need states to come in as well. And then, of course, we've already seen great support from our corporate and our cargo customers. This is SAF is a win-win solution for them too, right? It helps them achieve their their own goals of their scope three emissions. And so yeah, I think just asking our, you know, our partners like those corporations, like those cargo companies, like our travel agencies to continue to partner with us. And so, and then I think the final thing is there's a lot of debate about SAF out there. You know, what are the right attributes? You know, what kind of SAF is better than other SAF? And, and certainly as we move to 2050, I think we're certainly going to see an evolution of SAF towards those attributes that have zero emissions and, you know, completely, you know, just, are made synthetically and don't touch land and, you know, use renewable energy and all those great things. But in the meantime, we got a long ways to go. And so let's just figure out some, you know, really wonderful, scalable inter- interim solutions. It's just what, what I talked about with the sustainable flight challenge. You wouldn't wait till 2050 to find the perfect solution. We're going to certainly test and expand and grow as we can. Right. I, I think that is, again, once again, very encouraging. And thank you for a very holistic summary of how you're tackling the SAF challenge. The other immediate thing, that we can do to you know lower overall emissions is your work on contrail reduction you're i believe uh, doing a research project with mm-hmm. mit yep. uh, in reducing contrails are you able to share what are some of the findings how are you applying them to delta's daily operations yeah certainly and again similar on the note of collaboration you know mit has been an incredible partner on this and i think One of the things that I am really excited about is that from the beginning, you know, we've really worked together to establish that the findings will be an open source license. So these are not things that will be a competitive differentiator, but just will be scaled and available to the industry as quickly as possible. Um, So where we're at right now with the MIT relationship is we are actively collaborating with them to do as we announce, which is to study the impact of contrails and, you know, with with the MIT guidance of how to avoid them. So we're trying to do those tests right now to understand, you know, when contrails are formed and how their, you know, MIT's um, algorithms are essentially helping us to avoid them. Uh, we are certainly really excited to share more of the study's findings and technology in the future. As I mentioned, we will publicly release the findings and they will be published under an open source license. So more to come. The part I like about this is the open source bit, because whatever you learn, whatever MIT learns is going to be shared with the entire industry and everyone benefits from there. Yeah. And I think... You know, I think if you kind of come back and think about sustainability the way we've thought about safety for a long time as an industry, right? I think if you just ground yourself in the fact that we should not be holding back solutions from each other that, you know, help us be more sustainable. I mean, I don't think actually it's been nice. We haven't really seen that in anything that the industry's done so far, if anything. um, And you've probably seen this because I know you're you're active on LinkedIn as well. But, you know, we cheer each other on as I've seen some of my my colleagues at American sign the SAF deal with Jivo. It's like I'm I'm cheering that on because that means, you know, more there's more confidence in the SAF market. And so just like similarly, as findings come out from whether it's research or the development of new tools, we're cheering each other on because we all know that that's one step forward for the industry. Yeah, I think aviation has shown how it is the safest industry in the world. It's it's safer to fly a plane than to take a shower. It's safer to fly a plane than to drive a car. Uh, I truly do hope. I think it is already more carbon efficient to take a flight from New York to California than to drive alone in a car, even if it's a Prius. Uh, so you know, I'm I'm sure that the way our efforts are going 
aviation can lead the way in becoming one of the most sustainable ways to get around as well uh, for an for an indi individual. Now, you talked a lot about innovation from the work we are doing with Sky Team um, and the Sustainable Flight Challenge to the work you're doing, you know, with with MIT, for example. You have recently launched the new innovation uh, hub at Delta headquarters, which is a real physical thing. It's not something over Zoom or a webinar that is being held. Tell me a little about the vision behind this innovation hub and what the, what is it intended uh, to achieve? Certainly. Well, this first of its kind airline innovation lab is something we're really proud about at Delta. And I think when we stepped back and thought about, you know, what can Delta do uniquely um, in order to move forward some of these innovations and technologies and research and design and testing. And we, we looked around and said, well, what makes Delta special? You know, what's made Delta special for its almost hundred year history. And we came back to the fact that it's, you know, it's people, it's our people really, you know, we've always said that's the difference. Now in my customer experience world, right. We talk a lot about our employees, right. Are the number one drivers of, of satisfaction. And that's certainly going to be the same thing here that our employees are going to be the things that often unlock the solutions of the future. And so this lab was essentially set up to kind of look across Delta and say, what is Delta doing today? And also, how does Delta start to move into more um, uh, disruptive innovation in the future? And how do we not only look at disruptive innovation, but how do we essentially scale that innovation and say, OK, this is an idea or a concept or a, something that's been done once. How do we take it and really help it to be scaled into something that not only can Delta use, but can the industry use? And again, we've got amazing people. We've got amazing expertise. We've got, you know, world-class um, tech ops facility, right? We've got world-class MRO operation. And so we've got just a lot of really amazing attributes. We've also got just, you know, great um, relationships across the board. You know, Delta as a brand is certainly one that attracts kind of the best of the best to want to work with them. And so the intent of the lab is, you know, as you mentioned, to have a place, a physical place where people can come to our complex and to see and touch and feel and really focusing especially on that next generation, right? Our students, we want students from around the world to be able to come here and participate in solutions. Um, we're certainly looking at it as well to leverage just internal innovation. So leveraging the lab to help groups who are already doing great work to really take it to the next level or to come together to collaborate. And then obviously we want to attract the next generation of doers. And so we think that this lab will invite in new innovative partnerships um, and across the board for all three of those groups, whether it's at our physical facility, innovative partnerships, or internal teams to just allow an opportunity to test by leveraging our global operation to be able to say, does this work or does this not work? And there's things that, you know, you haven't seen that behind the scenes have been done in this way. And we're now we're going to have a chance to storytell it more going forward. I love the fact that you're also looking to invite students to the lab itself, because I truly believe there's an entire generation of engineers and aviators and non-aviators, you know, waiting to be inspired to make sustainable aviation a reality rather than just join a traditional organization, for example. Yep. And on that, you've actually had quite a journey getting to manage the sustainability portfolio. You've, you've had a sales and revenue background. You've worked in Mexico on the Aeromexico joint venture. How did you get here, Amelia, to lead the sustainability portfolio? Um. I would say luck, but they always say, don't say luck, right? Take credit for your successes. So I think uh, there's a couple things I would say. Um, you know, I have had the opportunity over a number of years to get to start new things at this airline from new partnerships. I was the first Delta expat to go down to Mexico City to 
Um, you know, I sat on the forefront when I was in revenue management of the uh, Northwest Delta merger. Um, I was based in New York City when Delta essentially moved from last place to first place and kind of led our uh, sales um, analytical work at that time. You know, I, I will say right before sustainability, I was in call centers during the pandemic. And I always say, while two opposite ends of the spectrum of hard, call centers during the pandemic were incredibly challenging. And so through leading those call centers during the pandemic, I actually um, got to really kind of highlight the way that I can be an innovative thinker, if that makes sense, and kind of move across the company to try to find solutions to things that are very challenging. And so um, was incredibly fortunate to have, you know, a great network here and some incredible advocates that when the opportunity came open, there was an opening on the sustainability team that they asked me, would you be interested? And this is where it becomes a little bit, you know, personal, I would say, you know, I think I love this industry, I certainly do, and I love our customers. And so to move into sustainability actually feels like a little bit of a step away for a second. It's certainly part of the industry, but it's away from that customer, which is really kind of what's at my heart and my core. But I have two small kids. And so back into this conversation of, who's going to solve climate change for us. I and mean, it's not, it's not you and I, you know, we got to get it started. We need a big running start. It will be my children though, and their generation who are going to solve climate change for us. And so I thought to myself, if I'm not brave enough to get it started, how can I expect my kids to be brave enough to really challenge the status quo to find solutions? And so I wanted to step into it, frankly, for my kids just to get it started again. I'm not saving them from climate change because we're not there yet, but I'm certainly doing my best to get it started so that when they come out of school and they're educated in it and they understand it and their brains just think about systems and sustainable design work in ways that you and I can't fathom, that they are just set up for success. And so Delta's Innovation Lab is like a perfect example of what we're trying to do for that next generation and how I connect to it personally. Wow, that is so inspiring. Uh, digging a little into that, you've, of course, led customer experience roles, call center, sales, revenue. But you've had no experience on anything to do with sustainability until you actually took the role. Weren't you scared that you're flying in blind? Well, I think, again, I would just give a huge shout out here to some amazing people at Delta, my team at the time, who, you know, were were and are experts in their space. Um, Delta's leadership team from its board all the way down were side by side with me saying, okay, you know, this is 2021, right? We're all trying to start to get it figured out. And they were, I mean, just my my biggest advocates and champions saying, what do you need? You know, what, what do we need to do here? And so we got a lot of support from them to go out there and, you know, do things differently, to think about things differently. And then I think my biggest, you know, group that I would say I'm grateful for is my uh, counterparts at American and United, Jill and Lauren. Um, those two women were incredible, as well as, you know, women at uh, Southwest, Stacy, Diana at Alaska, Sarah at JetBlue. I'm sure I'm missing others out there. But these were the ones that I would text and call with things like, okay, I'm new to this space. I don't understand how staff accounting works, but I do know that like there's a problem here and what are we doing? And so without a doubt, you know, they'd answer my phone calls. I'd answer their phone calls at all hours of the day. And so um, it allowed me to get up to speed quickly. And then I think, again, you know, um, I think publications like this are super helpful also. I will say my team teased me a lot when I moved into sustainability that I would show up at work every day and be like, oh, I listened to this podcast this morning. But I became just incredibly obsessed with it. And so I really did. Um, I was telling people I went back to school without getting a sustainability degree because I just immersed myself into it. And so, but again, it's just, if you connect, no matter what the topic is, call centers may seem really dry to you. Running call centers during the pandemic, I poured my heart and my soul into that work because I cared so much about 
the people that were calling in, my employees, whatever, and sustainability the same way. Well, no matter what you do in your career, and it's very easy to do it in the airline industry, if you can connect and find that passion, I mean, you're going to learn it, you're going to love it, and you're going to make an impact. Wow, this is absolutely incredible. I, I talk often about how I'm full of hope because I see large players who should be competing collaborating mm -hmm. but then this goes down you know one notch above where you are literally calling the heads of sustainability of your closest competitors uh from from diana to sarah to all of these ladies mm -hmm. mostly ladies by the way which yeah. is again incredible yeah um, and and they're giving you advice all right amelia this is what you got to do exactly it's a unique space and i think it was um like i said it was an incredible experience but again it's um you know, it's a hard thing to do as an airline person. And that's where I'm back into customer experience, which now just, you know, I think as the world reopens for international, it's similarly, I'm finding that passion that the, you know, the expectations have never been higher for our customers. And there's some incredible innovations that are out there, both in the sustainability realm and outside of it. And that we just have to go just like we do for sustainability, work together to try to find solutions that make, um, you know, this industry, you know, and continue to be attractive, accessible, sustainable, you know, all the, all the buzzwords that we use, purpose-driven, right, um, that that shows up in customer experience as well. Wow. I am incredibly moved and inspired by the journey. And I'm, and I'm truly hoping yeah. that people who are listening um, will apply for a sustainability role within an airline uh, after this. Oh, my this. gosh. Yes, please do. I mean, if you want to have, like, the best career of your life, sustainability anywhere, I think, is so interesting. But sustainability for an airline, I always tell people... It's cool because it's really hard in the sense of like, you're going to have a job for basically life. Um, but people are rooting for you, you know, unlike other industries where people are like, I mean, take it or leave it, whether or not this industry makes it. Everyone needs airline sustainability to make it. And not just for the environmental part of it. I just mean truly for the social part of it. There is such social ramifications in terms of accessibility to air travel. If we cannot figure out how to transition and transition as quickly as possible, without having a change to airfare or without having a change to air service, right? We know there's such a detriment to society when airlines are not operating at their optimal state. And so that is, I think, why it's very, it's a very cool mission because it's not just environmental, it's really social. <laughs> I'm at loss for words. This is absolutely fantastic, Amelia. Um, you clearly are very passionate about what you do, be it call centers and now sustainability. And perhaps you now have a job for life uh, and you will be looking at another department. Um, <laughs> my question is, what gives you so much hope about the net zero future of the industry, given it is one of the hardest to decarbonize industries? There's always two sides to an answer, right? There's the professional side of me and then there's the personal side of me. So I would say, um, you know, I think the part that gives me hope from a professional lens is that if you take out the kind of the altruism behind it for a second, there is a really unique business opportunity here. Um, there is a business imperative. It's critical for the company's long term success. And I don't mean that just negatively, meaning like if we don't do this, we'll become extinct. I mean, there's just we will completely unlock kind of how we travel and how our economics work as we start to transition away from fossil fuels. And I think that's really interesting. I think coupled with that is, of course, we know that we have a whole group of stakeholders that are incredibly um, invested in this space in terms of how they how they spend their money on us, how they invest their money with us, or you know where they're choosing to work. So all of those stakeholders are, again, rooting us on. They want to see us win and succeed. And they're, you know, they're, they're working alongside of us. And we also know that ultimately it's going to set up our business to be stronger in the future. 
And so just like I mentioned with safety, I mean, sustainability is going to really be that core pillar that's going to transform this industry for the better. And I think that part's really exciting. And then again, the hope just comes from the fact that I'm a mom of two young girls who know about climate change at the ages of five and eight when I had not thought about that until, I mean, when, right? Maybe our 20s, you started to think a little bit about it. And so I think the hope is the fact that, again, we've got to do everything that we can to ready things for when that next generation starts to enter the workforce. And I think all signs are pointing to the fact that, you know, society is transforming in that way. And I think that's really incredible. Well, I am full of hope after speaking with you, Amelia. This has been so inspiring. Thanks. The final bit of this interview is what I call the rapid fire round, in which we get to know you a bit more personally. And I'll ask you a simple question and you can give me a simple answer, whatever comes to your mind. So okay. I'll ask, you know, with a very, something straightforward, what's your favorite book? Um, The Goldfinch. The Goldfinch? The Goldfinch. Yep. It's fiction. It won the Pulitzer a couple of years ago. All right. I'm going to look it up. Uh, it's, it's a book I've not come across yet. All right. <laughs> I know. Well, because everyone probably gives you nonfiction answers and I'm the one that's like real. <laughs> I love fiction. I think you build a lot of empathy through reading fiction. So that's my plug for fiction and not nonfiction. Sorry. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. What's your favorite non-Delta airline? <gasps> oh, that's not fair. Um... <laughs> Well, as collaborative as I am to the other airlines, I will not say the other ones, mostly because I haven't flown them. Um, I just got back from an amazing trip where I flew um, I flew to Bangalore and I flew um, KLM on the Amsterdam to Bangalore leg, and they did a fantastic job. I also used to be based in the Netherlands, so the, the little yeah. houses from KLM to me are just the ultimate, like, great yeah. idea for a customer experience thing. Absolutely. So such a unique thing that, you know, things that money cannot buy. Exactly. And people, people love to collect. What's your favorite city? It's a tie um, between um, Amsterdam, where I was based for three and a half years. I lived there right after I got married. I got my master's when I lived there. Uh, love Dutch culture and all things Dutch. And then the opposite of the spectrum would be Mexico City, where I lived for three years. Also, um, my second daughter was born in Mexico City. There, You could probably not have two more opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of city, but I love both, which I think shows just I could probably live anywhere in the world at this point. Very well, thank you. Uh, what is your favorite movie? I have young kids, so don't judge me for this audience out there. Um, there's this great kids movie on Netflix called The Mitchells vs. The Machines. If you've not seen it, it's a real quirky little kids movie that we watch once a week. It's silly and it's funny and it also has really great messages about family and inclusivity. I have daughters exactly the same age of yours as yours and I'm going to definitely check it out. <laughs> You'll have to let me know. We we have so many inside jokes on it at this point, so I hope you <laughs> like it. All right. What is something you still want to learn, Amelia? I think, let's see here. My whole life is just based upon always learning new things. So as long as I'm learning something new, I'm good to go. I'll give you a short term and a long term. So um, short term, I would really like to learn how to mountain bike. So that's on the list for actually hopefully learning this summer. I like to do things that scare me, and that one scares me, but I think I'd be good at it. And then on the more... I guess, serious long-term, um, you know, there are so many social issues entering into our world today, including in the United States. And I really like to figure out how to be a more powerful and impactful activist in my community. So that's something that's on my uh, list for 2023 that I'm kind of slowly working through different ways that I can support my community on issues that matter most to me. Wow. I have not had a future activist on the show before, but there's always a first time. So <laughs> good luck with that. Uh, who you. do you look up to? I would say Ruth Bader Ginsburg, number one for me. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I think, was just so 
smart in how she made change in the world. You know, she was very quiet. She's very thoughtful. Yeah. Um, she created arguments that just made sense for everyone and, and impacted everyone. And so I think that's something that I think about. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg, number one. Okay, fantastic choice. And finally, finally, final question of the interview. What is the best advice you've ever received? Um, you know, I can't, I don't think this is anyone's like specific words, but I think, you know, they tell you as a kid to be yourself and it takes you a long, long time to embrace that. Um, and I think that's what they always say. The thing about getting older is you learn that it's okay to be yourself. And I would say when I finally realized that and both work and at home is really when I felt like the best version of myself. And I would say as a leader in particular, um, people gravitate towards people who they feel like are just being their authentic selves, right? We talk a lot about, you know, the authentic self here at Delta. And it wasn't until I really embraced my authentic self that I felt like the best version of myself, but I also felt like I was having the impact I wanted to have. So be yourself. Interesting. Was there a flip? Was there a switch that flicked when you decided to embrace your authentic self? Was there an incident that happened? Not an incident. I think it's just, we all have, well, it's mental health awareness month, right? The month of May. I think it's whether it's social issues or mental health or, um, you know, just the things that shape us, right? It's, it's things that make us scared or grief or um, trauma or whatever. Just saying how you feel at any given point and being vulnerable in the moment to things that we have both experienced, things that we don't know, those weeks that you just say, I'm having a hard time. Saying those things aloud, that it's, is what to me means being yourself, right? And again, we're, that happens to be where I think people meet you. Right, where if you are yourself, yourselves, they will also be themselves, and that's really where the magic of I think really society, but in particular of work life, is for me. So, right, Amelia, I truly appreciated you opening up from your career transitions to your personal preferences to how you are making flying more sustainable at Delta, and of course all the excitement that comes through with the Sky Team Sustainable Flight Challenge. I do wish you all the best for all your efforts, and thank you once again for opening up. Well, thank you again for, you know, supporting the mission that many of us are are carrying. We really appreciate advocates like you because we can't do it without getting the message out that, you know, this industry is, we are trying really hard and we can't do it alone though. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sustainability in the Air. Aviation is one of the hardest to decarbonize industries, yet there are multiple paths to get to net zero. Awareness is key to a green future. So please give us your support to help our sustainable aviation insights reach a wider audience. You can do this by sharing this episode on your network on LinkedIn, Twitter, or even WhatsApp. Or perhaps you might consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this episode. You can start a conversation with us by writing to us at podcast at simplifying that's simply with an i.com and for more content on sustainable aviation please visit our website green.simplifying.com and join the movement sustainability in the air is an original podcast by simplifying the show is produced by Uri Toth in Slovakia Dirk Singer is our director of sustainability who leads research for each interviewee out of Greenwich UK Shubhadeep Pal is our supervising editor based out of Mumbai and Singapore. The articles are written by Ayushi Badola in Dehradun in India and Mira Hull in Montreal, Quebec. Creative design is led by Lihia Esteve in Montreal.
Baiba Dreamen is the project director for the show based out of Valencia, Spain. Special thanks to Wendy Sim in Singapore and I'm Shashank Nigam, the CEO of Simplifying and your host. Please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn.